Hi, people. Welcome back. Now, during the last two years now, almost, the world has been in turmoil and uncertainty has ruled and people haven't known what to expect from one day to the other. And everything has shifted. The way we lead our families has shifted. The way we lead in business has shifted. And the way that we lead in society has shifted. And all of this has created extra stress in our lives and in our careers. And through my coaching practice, I've spent a lot of time with some amazing people, leaders, professionals, all high achievers who have been dedicated to their families and to their work, and they always want to perform at their best. But during these trying times, they've been put under pressure and they've had this added stress that some of them didn't know how to cope with. And some of these wonderful leaders in life and business turned to alcohol. Just that one glass of wine to wind down after a stressful day. And uh, it turned out that that one, one glass of wine at the end of the day turned into a couple of glasses or more. And it became a routine or a ritual before going to sleep and repeat the next day. So today I've invited a dear friend of mine, Michelle Porterfield, who lives in South Carolina. We met during our time at the Podcast Pro University, and she's just an amazing woman. She's a fellow coach and podcaster of the show Set Free Sisterhood. And today we're just going to have an honest conversation around the topic. And maybe we all can learn something just to get some awareness and grace for the situation and how we can deal with it in a healthy way. So with no further ado, let's talk. Welcome, Michelle. I'm so excited to have you here. Me too. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Me too. Oh my gosh. It's been like a year since we first got to know each other through a challenge that we did on Facebook. And, uh, and then we were in the same uh, podcasting course. We've just grown this beautiful friendship from across the world. And we talk to each other regularly. And, um, and now I get to introduce you to my listeners. Yes, I love it. I can't wait. So what we're talking about today is a topic that, um, I'm, that I discuss with, uh, with some of my clients who are high achieving leaders, both male and female, especially during the last year, um, they've had, they've used alcohol as, as buffering. I know, can you, can you just share a little bit about your story? Because this is something that you know a little bit about and it's what you do and uh, I thought that it would be great to to just pick your brain and um, and hear your story and also get some tips on on what what these great people can do instead. Awesome yes thank you so yeah um, I basically am I'm a coach and I help high achieving women unstuck from the daily cycle of drinking and self-sabotage so that they can create a life of fulfillment. So I wanted to share a little bit about, I know those of us who are high achieving, we kind of know that we are, (laughs) and, but I wanted to read the definition and then kind of go in and tell you a little bit about 
you know, a little bit about my story, but high achievers are ambitious. They're very goal focused. They're self-disciplined individuals who are driven by a strong personal desire to accomplish meaningful, important goals. High achievers like to set a goal and then work persistently towards it until it has been completed. So let's just celebrate for a minute, us, those of us who are like that, and also realize that with that comes a lot of overwhelm, a lot of stress, a lot of inner critic, a lot of self-sabotage, fear of success, fear of failure. There's just so much that's packaged into that personality type. And so I found myself as one of those, and it was kind of in a place of running my life in a way of, you know, taking care of kids and working, but then wanting to create something new and different for my future and support being a supportive wife and just the dynamics of we had an adoption, which was a huge turning point in my life. We took in a child and adopted. So there was a lot of pressure. And alongside of that, also wanting to stay fit and stay healthy and feel like I was super disciplined. But what I found myself doing was at the end of the day, feeling so depleted and so overstressed and overwhelmed that I turned to wine because it was easy, it was accessible. It was very um, culturally ac- acceptable, even more even conditioned, whether we were watching TV shows, commercials, you go, everywhere you go, it's, you see it as part of society's you know, lifestyle and it worked. <laughs> so when I was stressed, I went to it, it became like, oh, okay, cool. This is, this is uh, cushioning this, this feeling of anxiety. This is, you know, absorbing some of this tension and stress that I have, which we have now kind of coined as the name, like when we buffer, mm-hmm. when we have those emotions. But what became the main issue for me was that it became super, um, important on a regular basis. Hmm. It was one of those things where it wasn't just the weekend. It wasn't just occasionally when I had a project or maybe I was setting a new goal. It became almost daily. And then from there became really the results of when we typically drink on a regular basis, we know what it does to our body, uh, then created depression, some anxiety, just that whole, my inner critic got worse because, you know, I was beating up myself for like, ah, you said you were going to go work out or you were going to do this. And you said you wouldn't drink. And, but yet I still was achieving. And the one question I kept asking myself was if I'm so disciplined in all these areas, why does this have such control over me? And that's kind of how my story began. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the the moment where, when you realized that you had a problem? Well, it's interesting because I knew for, I mean, I would even say a couple of years on and off. There were signs to me that was like, huh, I'm drinking at lunch more frequently after, especially during my court days. Um, if you've ever been through any of those listening, if you've ever been through any sort of legal pressure or Um, maybe an adoption or just been involved in the courts or working with um, things like that. There's a lot of pressure and it could even be like, like you said this last year, Steve, like Mm. just, 
the, the way the world has shifted this pressure that you just really didn't know how to handle. Um, and then just this times where I just knew it was just one of those things where, and I always say this on most all of my conversations, if whoever's listening, their ear perks up and they realize, huh, I've been thinking that I've probably been drinking a little too much too, and it's not serving me well, then they're the ones that need to listen. Mm -hmm. The people that just do not have any sort of uh, connection to alcohol, or they drink once in a while, or some frou-frou drink on vacation, that it's not a big deal to them. They don't even notice. But if for someone who, like I was, was, you know, looking fine on the outside, everything looked put together. No one knew. It was all of my internal mind drama. And then I just got to the place where I was just like, I didn't really like myself. Yeah. Cause we're not talking about being like a full blown alcoholic now. And, and I think that that's the misconception that a lot of people have and me included before I met you. Uh, I thought that either you're like a full blown alcoholic or you're you're not. Um, and um, so, so you were telling me about how you were functioning, you were, uh, you were going to work, uh, you were taking care of your family doing everything. Uh, but still this, the, the drink had kind of a hold on you that wasn't healthy. How did you decide to stop or to do something about it? Was there something special that happened? Yeah. And that's the cool thing about it is everyone kind of has their, their moment or your, you know, you hear the term quote unquote rock bottom. Yeah. And a lot of times we do, when we think of people who abuse alcohol as a word or alcoholic or addiction, we, we hear these words and we immediately create a visual, mm -hmm. you know, anyone who's listening, when you hear the word alcoholic, I'm sure there's something that comes to your mind where you have either seen it in a movie, you've actually experienced it in a loved one, something like that. You have this image, but there's this huge, what is now also called gray area. Um, mm -hmm. There's some leaders out there that actually use it, use that term gray area drinking, but it's really when you have come to a place where you just realize that it's too important mm -hmm. to you, even though you're functioning and that, you just, it's just not serving you anymore in a way that you want it, but you don't want it in your life. Cause it, like I said, in the beginning, it's working, but I came to a place where I was just like, you know, enough is enough. I'm tired of feeling like crap every morning. I'm sleeping terribly. I'm waking up at 3am, you know, I'm frustrated with myself. You know, you're sick and tired of being sick and tired kind of thing. I don't know if y'all say that there. Yeah, <laughs> that might be a we, Southern we, term. Yeah. <laughs> No, we understand that. So, um, and that's what happened. It just came to a place where I was like, all right, I've had enough, but here's the tricky part. Mm -hmm. Even when you are disciplined and you are very goal focused, we have this idea that like, okay, I realize I'm done here and I want to not have wine anymore. And then you try to do it on your own. And then you realize, oh my gosh, this is harder than I ever thought it was going to be. Because now your brain is like, whoa, 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 we've been doing this for almost daily for a very long time. And you're trying to tell me you're not interested in doing this anymore. Well, I'm not having it. Mm -hmm. 
And that's just real. And so there comes then a huge amount of resistance. And so that's when we realize, wow, okay, we got to do something more than just saying we don't want to drink. There's action that has to be taken on a regular. So how does this affect your, your, the family dynamics? Do they know what's going on? Well, of course your family knows. I mean, to be honest, because depending on how old your kids are, like they see you drinking. Let me see. It's been almost this August will be three years alcohol free for me. Wow. Just crazy. Amazing. Like, yeah, it's awesome. And it's, it's so, so amazing. And um, I'm actually planning on recording super soon uh, episode with my daughter who is almost 17 mm-hmm. because she was the one that was more aware of what was going on. Because what would happen is I would also, when drinking, we have this disconnect that happens. We think it makes us calmer and it relieves stress, but yet it's really just sort of like putting like this haze or static in this connection where we're really not connecting with our loved ones. So I could tolerate my family better, but yet I really wasn't connected. So And then if I was, had a little bit more than quote unquote normal, I would get a little edgy and irritated. And so I would be more snappy, very, um, I had no patience. Mm. So we just, she really saw that and, um, it really affected our relationship there for a while. Did they say, did they say anything to you, the kids? Occasionally she would she would say things. And then I would occasionally say things like, you know, I apologize. You know, I had, uh, you know, maybe I had too much to drink last night or I was just feeling tired. And, you know, I, I even would say things like, yeah, I'm gonna, um, I'm probably going to quit drinking soon. Like I would kind of throw out hints Mm -hmm. to them to kind of just say, Hey, I know what's going on here, but not really fully being vulnerable enough. Mm-hmm. to say, yeah, I'm trying, but this is really hard. And that's what happens is because typically if you're the only one in the relationship, it's even a little bit trickier because, you know, at least if you and your partner are drinking together and you both kind of are saying, Hey, this might be a fun to explore, then you can do that. But when one of you, or if maybe the other one's not interested in quitting, Mm-hmm. That's really difficult too, but it's possible. All things are possible, but just being able to admit like, Hey, I kind of don't want to drink anymore because it's not really helping me and I feel bad. And then your husband say, yeah, I agree. I can tell, you know, you're not the nicest person in the world when you drink or, you know, I notice you're less impatient, but then they don't understand how hard it is when you do try. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And do you think that's because, because we see that social drinking is, uh, is such a wide phenomenon these days and uh, every, every social media platform, you see pictures of glasses of wine, champagne, and, uh, and, and it's become like normal. And so do you think that also can give the wrong impression that you don't, it's easier to hide now uh, if you have a problem with the alcohol and if your partner then thinks of it as just a little bit of too much social drinking and that's what it is, um, they don't really understand. How can you 
make your partner understand what you're going through? I don't know that you can completely help someone understand. Although my husband has been, he was very supportive. What you have to do is make your own decision and and decide what kind of boundaries you're going to put up for Mm -hmm. yourself. Because at the end of the day, I was using, and we are using wine or whatever your drink of choice is. We're using it in the evenings to relieve stress or to, you know, help with the overwhelm or help with the irritability. Mm-hmm. So just because we decide to remove that, that doesn't mean any of that other stuff goes away. If anything, it's elevated because we're not cushioning it, right? Yeah. So then what happens is we're actually harder to get along with in the beginning. We're snappier, we're more irritable. So the main thing is creating that conversation around, listen, you know, that's just like if you decided that you're going to go gluten-free or sugar-free. <laughs> we that, don't want to go there, Michelle. <laughs> no, no bread. <laughs> I think chocolate is the worst for me though. Chocolate. Yeah. Oh. So think about what, just yeah. think about how your mind works. When you make a decision to remove something, even if it's great, like it's yeah. awesome. It's very consciously driven. We decide, Hey, we're going to take this out of our life. Well, what happens next is then that becomes more of even what you think about mm-hmm. because you're thinking about, wow, I miss it. I'm taking it away. Oh my goodness. All that. And so then there is irritability. So there's just kind of a process and I have kind of some steps for some, some people, if they're interested in how to walk this out. Cause the first, I think the first decision is exploring. Nobody said you have to quit forever. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest thing. Whenever we say forever, it's this whole like <gasps> fear of missing out on my life. Like I can't not ever have that again, you know, mm-hmm. whether it, whether it's bread or alcohol or sugar, but I want to suggest to just explore a period of time. And mm-hmm. you can even choose. I've had women that have said, you know what? I just want to see for one week when I remove this, how, how I feel, what thoughts come up, bring, you know, it really start to elevate our awareness. And then I've had some people say, you know, I do want to go, I want to try for a full 30 days. Cause so I can really feel the benefit of how this is going to help me and then go from there. So what are the thoughts or the things they can expect if they, if they decide to explore, what would happen if I go one week without having a drink to calm my nerves or to just relax? What are the things they can expect? Well, I think the main thing too, is just really deciding in those of us who are setting these goals is to say, listen, I'm deciding today that I want to give this up for a blank amount of time. And then the next step is to, to really layer that with why do I want to, as in like, what, why am I even here? Why am I listening to these ladies talk about this? Like, why have I allowed wine to be such a part of my day? You know, why am I stressed out daily? Like what's happening? You know, things like that. Explore what's already going on. Like, is your sleep being disturbed? Is your energy lower? Kind of really evaluate where you are first so that you have sort of your baseline. 
This is how I'm feeling. I'm waking up at 3 a.m. I have headaches every day. Um, I feel like my skin has been looking a little like dry and saggy. You know, I, I feel like I'm short. I'm very short tempered with my children and my husband. Like I see that this is an issue. I'm forgetting things when I go into my meeting at work or when I'm leading, um, you know, something in your career. Cause that's what happens too, is that there are, there's studies that show that when we drink, we are affecting the memory part of our brain while we're sleeping and it loses information. So let's just say you're taking an online course in the evenings because you're really trying to level up or get your master's degree or, you know, learn a new skill. Well, if you're drinking after that, what you're retaining from the information is not near as much as it would be if you weren't because it, it affects your memory. Hmm. So really just looking at where you are today, making that commitment, and then just setting boundaries on what it looks like. It looks like, okay, when I would normally come home and drink, I'm going to go walk and have some movement. Find another drink that you can drink instead because you still want to have that like physical connection to the hand to mouth, sort of that routine, that habit that you built in, you know, sparkling water, or, you know, cran cranberry juice and tonic or whatever. And then um, let the people know that you live with what you're doing and see how you can ask them for support. And I will say just for me, like that was one of the key components mm -hmm. was asking for support in my home. And how did they respond to that? They were really great. You know, I had to just be honest and say, listen, if I'm tired or, you know, the kids were young too at the time. Mm -hmm. So not super young, but young enough to just be sort of rambunctious and arguing and things like that. I knew that I needed to go to my bedroom and read, have some quiet time away um, to make sure that I had time to like, if I want to go meet a friend for coffee, you know, create new routines and what that looked like in the evening. Sometimes in the beginning, you're kind of busy because you want to keep your hands busy. You know, you might just decide, Oh, I'm going to clean out my, my refrigerator tonight <laughs> or reorganize my pantry or, or whatever. Not a bad thing. <laughs> not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. But really just asking for support um, because you're just going to be, I think you can expect to have a few headaches and sort of be snappy and irritable, which for me should be a really quick indicator of like, huh, maybe there's some other things in my life that, you know, once I get rested, I can really start looking at those areas because that's what all this is about. You know, there's stuff underneath the surface of all this that has created us to need to want to drink. Yeah, it's the escape. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know that I'm, I'm I, I do have a sweet tooth. So for me, it's not alcohol, but it is, it's, it's that chocolate, it's candy, it's, uh, and I know it's not good for me. And, um, but being able to sit in the discomfort, it's not 
dangerous to 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 just sit there and feel bad um, because I think that you reach for things when uh, when there is something because it's it's like something on the inside that I can't put my finger on that's going on and to distract myself of that I would I would go to chocolate other would be, go to wine um, but learning to sit in that discomfort is really has really helped me understanding that it's not dangerous to to sit there and feel bad. Uh, is that something that you can translate over to 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 what you are talking about? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I'm glad you brought that up because that is what happens next. Mm. <laughs> you know, when you make these decisions, you commit, you set your boundaries. It is really sitting there and being aware of what you're feeling and allowing it to to flow through you I think a lot of us too and in this group in this conversation we just want to make it stop and you know I don't want to feel this so what can I feel instead yeah and where there's times when that's necessary but there's other times when it's super valuable to sit in the discomfort and to sit there and go okay why am I feeling this way? Like what thoughts are going on in my head? You know, what is this, the inner critic in me? Are you, is there something I'm afraid of? Is there some resentment I'm feeling? You know, what has gotten me to this place where, cause it's really, like you said, it's just a physical feeling. You're not going to die. Yeah. <laughs> and when we realize that life is, is supposed to be experienced with all the levels of emotions then it's not so scary because what I learned through this journey too was if I wasn't able to have the clarity to feel the struggle and the pain and the discouragement and the resentment and the anger, then I really couldn't fully feel the joy and fulfillment and happiness and the, what it felt like to just thrive and things like that. Like there is no, there is no one or the other. We have to experience all of it. And if we're numbing the stuff that we don't want to feel, then we're numbing the things that we would like to feel, but we can't get there. It's like, there's this, there, there's a glass ceiling there. We haven't allowed ourselves to break free through that. And so sitting in it, understanding it, I'm a big journaler, writing things out in a book. Um, I call it a thought download where you literally just sit down and you just start writing Nothing fancy, no colored pencils. Now, if you're creative, have at it. (laughs) (laughs) Mine's scribble, scrabble. I think there's this, there's this idea when you hear, oh, you need a journal that it's this beautiful, magical process. And it's literally, it can be a yellow notepad. It can be a, you know, a, a composition notebook, whatever, and just scribble it out. And if you can take, I say even five to 10 minutes, if, when you have the time, that's when you really start getting to where, where you hear what's going on in there. I'm feeling this way. This is going on in my relationship. I'm stressed out at work because, and then you'll begin to hear like, oh, well, you're not good enough mm-hmm. and you're, you don't have the capabilities. And who told you you could do that? You're not qualified. That's when you begin to hear that stuff so that that's when you go, aha, well, no wonder I'm feeling stressed out because of all this negative language that's coming out of my brain. So then we go and we seek, okay, well, what's the truth? We got to find the truth. And that's when we go, well, wait a minute. 
when, when have I first heard this? Cause a lot of times too, without getting too coachy, it does come from somewhere in your past, someone that you care about, someone that means something to you has said some words to you that you have held on to put them in your pocket and continue to grow with and really forgot that they were there, but they've been in there stirring this whole time. And until we, you can get them out, shine a light on it and go, well, wait a minute, that's not true. Why in the world am I choosing to believe that? Then you can really set that free. Mm-hmm. And that's when you begin to like create this process of fulfillment that I was talking about. Yeah. That's so important because yes, we do have the stories with us from way back. And um, like, like for me, it's always been the feeling of overwhelm in my life. So even if, if it's not drinking with me, it's buffering in other ways. So it's the same. So people listening to this, if they don't have a problem with alcohol, they can put their poison in there <laughs> and look at because I, I can hear it's the same things. And for me, it's overwhelm that that uh, the feeling that I can't handle it, that it's it, this is too much, it's going to be too much. And I remember my mom, when we grew up, she was always stressed. Uh, and and that's something that I brought into my family. So I know that the kids know every time before we go on a holiday, uh, Christmas Eve, it's going to be a day of stress. And uh, so even if I'm aware of it now, and I can, I can, I do make some decisions and and create some space by uh, not starting to pack the day before and um, making sure that everything is is settled before Christmas arrives so that it's not going to be as stressful as it could be. And, but I think that, yeah, preparing and having a plan sounds like it's, it's the same thing with, with what you're talking about that they have to have. Okay. So when that happens, I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. Absolutely. And I think too, just from what you're saying is it's interesting how that was modeled to you by your mom, because I had a lot of that too, with just the, um, mine was more of the model of control. And so I would say, if anything, control is something I work on, on, on the regular, like very, very consistently because I like to be in control. But what I realized was it's when you surrender your control and really like sit back and say, you know what, I'm not going to struggle with this anymore. That's when really the doors begin to open and we can begin to kind of walk in this more healthier path. And one of the main questions I do want to share this because a lot of us women will say the words, I am overwhelmed. Oh my goodness. I feel so overwhelmed. So I want to suggest that we, we do our best to catch ourselves when we say that. Because what happens is when we speak something like that, it becomes our identity. And I suggest that we say to ourselves, what am I allowing to overwhelm me right now? Because we cannot be overwhelmed unless we allow it. Yeah. So typically we're allowing this schedule, this commitment. That's where it's super important that if you are finding yourself over committing and you're not fueling yourself with things that help you feel better, sleep better, 
and they help you have more energy in your day, then of course you're going to feel completely depleted. You're going to feel super overwhelmed. And then we know nothing good comes out of someone who's overwhelmed because we can't make clear decisions because Mm -hmm. our brains are just in constant spin. Yeah. And this is also something the people I coach around this area. um, One of the things that they are saying is that it is affecting, of course, their private life, but it's also affecting their job. So, So the very reason why they want, they are high achievers and want to get things done. They want to be top of their game. Uh, and then there's this, this thing actually that they're using to calm themselves down that is actually moving them away from that goal of delivering on the, on the targets, uh, delivering on what they want to achieve. So then I would tell her that she is definitely a candidate to try this, try the exploratory, take where you are now with where you are in your, in your company. Let's say they have a specific tangible goal, whether it's um, some sort of sales goal or specific leadership goal within your company. And really even set like a 30 day and say, listen, okay, here's what I'm going to do is I want to see how well I can live my life in these next 30 days to achieve that goal. So what is the, what is the one common denominator that I want to change? And because we're talking about this, you know, more than likely it is maybe dropping the wine every night. It could be something else for someone who's listening, you know, maybe, maybe they're, they're prone to checking out, at for two hours, three hours a night, watching a show on Netflix because they get so overwhelmed, they can't think and they want to just, you know, snack and watch TV. Like, what is that one thing that you can shift in your routine that will help you be able to see the goal clearer and be able to take clear steps towards the goal? Because that's the thing is that if we're just going through, the, I call it a loop, and whatever loop you're on, you know, you're there. Mm-hmm. When you look, if you can look back over this last month and you're just like, oh my goodness, like my days run together. They look the same. I get up, do the kid thing, go to work, come home, do dinner, have wine, get on my Zoom meetings, you know, do whatever I have to prepare the next day, kind of sleep, get up, do it all over again. Do you really want your life to look like that five years from now or even one year from now? And I think that's the thing is we, we need to stop and just reflect where we are and where we want to go. And when we have, we hear these conversations, like this may be exactly what you needed to hear whenever this recording goes out, that like this, this is for you. This is your chance to make this change. Yeah. It's just as many men as it is women. I know that your target is as female uh, high achievers. Uh, do you see, is there a difference between the sexes here? Well, I don't think that any of us really who are in this group of people that we're talking about are open about it. We're exactly those who are not trying to out ourselves. We're not trying to go to some meeting, be a part of some, you know, ritual group not that there's anything wrong with those groups but typically the women that I serve and I would say the men that you're that you have as listeners that are very business high achieving men 
that's not where that's not the space. So they're not super open about it. So it's kind of one of those things where I would say, you know, women have access to obviously my podcast, my group, men have, I mean, we have so much access to books. There's so much content about out there about removing alcohol, choosing to be alcohol free, you know, the exploratory part of that. Probably one of the first books that I'll just go ahead and recommend is called This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. Mm-hmm. She is, I mean, like that is the book. Some people have been able to read that book and literally say, oh, wow, I'm not interested in drinking anymore. This is great. Depending on wh- where you are in your journey. But that is one of the first books I read that really opened my mind to the way the brain works. Mm-hmm. So especially I'm imagining most of your listeners are super intellectual. <laughs> they're going to want to know that. Yeah. You know, they're going to want to know, okay, like what is going on in my brain mm-hmm. and what is this whole neuropathway stuff? And like, why is it so hard to break this habit and what's going on with my sleep and what's going on with my memory? Like it's super helpful when we have that. So I would just suggest if this speaks to you, you know, go Google books like that. Probably mm-hmm. if you click on that book, you'll probably get some other suggestions and there's great podcasts out there to listen to just to be able to hear that this is not taboo. This is not like a small portion of people. I would say there are so many people in your, your surroundings, your network of people that more than likely are struggling. You would be very, very surprised. Yeah. And I think that especially the last year where we've been working from home, uh, you, you don't have to get up in the morning and, and get in the car and drive. So you might as well have that extra glass of wine or, uh, or whatever before you go to bed. And, um, and I think it, it's just made it easier for people to get caught up in something that they weren't aware of or planning to, and, um, and just getting out of that habit again. Is, is this something that it helps to have like an uh, accountability partner? Does it help to, to talk to uh, either a friend or, or your partner about this? What do you recommend? Yeah, for sure. I think there are a small percentage of people, I really do, that can kick it on their own. I think that is a very, very small few. And I think that's some that just sort of like, eh, I explored with drinking. I drank a little more during, you know, quarantine, but, you know, I'm ready to get my life back. Like, that's fine. But who I'm talking to is the people that's kind of been doing it for a while. I'm mm-hmm. talking a year more, plus, plus, you know, the women that I typically work with have been drinking five plus years. That's why it's so sneaky. Because can you imagine if we were doing hardcore drugs, there's no way we would make it five years. You know, that's why this is so sneaky because it's been fine. It's not been great, but it's fine. Nobody knew and we're still doing the thing, right? So I do believe there needs to be accountability. That's why, you know, I tell people have that conversation, whether it's with a coach, a therapist, Um, some sort of connection and accountability, whatever that looks like for you. I'm actually in the process of creating by third quarter, working on like a group coaching program so that we can kind of do it together. Cause I feel like I I love serving one-on-one and that's been working awesome. And I do believe there's a huge need for that community 
when you're in a group of people that we, we can see each other for who we are, Hey, this is just, uh, this is a mom and this is somebody who has a great career and she, you know, looks beautiful and strong, or she likes to, um, she wants to create her own business or she loves to paint furniture. She's a creative like, but yet we're all in the same space of deciding, you know, we don't want this in our life anymore, but typically our friends don't get it. Mm -hmm. Our circle of people in our lives don't get it. So what more than to feel safe and connected in a community who does. And then that way you can really, I think you can get more, well, you have more leverage that way because you got somebody else kind of counting on you too. And it just helps. I mean, anytime you've, I mean, I know you can relate like just us and our relationship. There's so much we've been able to accomplish and connect just by knowing that we're not alone. Yeah. Probably all of the listeners know of somebody in their lives that they might have this thought that they are struggling with the things that you're talking about. How can we approach that person? Is there, should we, could we, and how to help them? Or is that not helpful? I don't believe that's helpful because I think what happens is for those of us who are, you know, at this level in our life, if anything that would probably push us away from that person, because come on, we don't really like being told what to do. (laughs) You know, we don't like someone really pointing out where we need to do better and grow, Mm -hmm. you know, we really have to, uh, we really have to come to a place where we know we're ready. And so typically just from the person who's struggling, like they have to be the one to speak up Mm -hmm. and to say, you know what, you know, this isn't working. Cause I'm going to be honest with you. I actually brought it up to several people. And honestly, I know that there are amazing therapists and counselors out there but I did not have that experience because there was a couple that I brought it up to mm-hmm. and it was very much sort of like, oh, well, you can go to this meeting or, you know, just see if you can just, you know, just try not to drink for a week. Like it really, I really wasn't heard. And so then what happens is you're like, ah, forget it. It's really just not a big deal. But I don't believe that pointing it out to someone would be helpful. Now, even if it's your partner, spouse. Oh, sure. Yeah. If you're, I mean, cause you're going to have conversations anyway, but I, I still, I still don't think you need to point it out because the person knows they know, Yeah, you know, they just know. Like when I, I brought it to my husband's attention, there would be several times we would have a conversation. I'll just be like, you know, I'm frustrated. You know, I feel like I'm struggling, things like that. And, but, and he was like, yeah, I can see. I noticed that like he noticed it in me and he was aware of it, Mm. but he also knew that if he pushed me, it wouldn't be pretty because that's just, I feel like that's just who we are. Mm -hmm. You know, we're these kind of people. Yeah. (laughs) We're, we're just a different, different personality. And it's like, man, don't tell me what I already know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yes. Yes. So what happens when you, when you, when you go, you've been drinking for uh, like that for, for a long time, for years, and and then you, you stop. What happens in the marriage with the dynamics? I will say for me, you know, just like for anyone, if you were drinking, like I was drinking like a bottle a day, which for some it's like, oh my goodness, I drink two glasses a day and I'm struggling. Well, Mm -hmm. great. 
because that's where you are in your journey. Mm -hmm. What I will say is don't ever compare yourself to others' journeys. Mm -hmm. Because I could, I've I've seen other people say they drink two or three bottles a day. Mm -hmm. And if we see that and go, oh, well, shoot, I'm not that bad after all. Then we're right back in that same cycle. So just know that you, you know, that you know, that you know, that it doesn't serve you. So the first little while, there's a lot of tension, a little snappy, moody. It's like, a month-ish of that on and off, but, you know, it's just there again, just really asking for that support and that patience and being willing to, to just apologize and just be like, Hey, I'm sorry. I was super snappy with you today. I'm, I'm feeling stressed. You know, that's the thing with me is I had to really come to a place where I was okay with telling him how I was feeling. Like I'm feeling a little bit emotional today. I'm feeling snappy today. I'm tired you know, I don't mean to take it out on you or, or yeah, you're ticking me off, you know, quit, quit acting that way. Or, you know, I need you to be calmer with the kids or, you know, just the dynamics of marriage anyway. But then over time, I came to a place where walking through this there again, realized control was a huge issue for me. I was trying to control my husband and Mm -hmm. I was trying to control like how he behaved and so many areas of his life. And when I realized like, I want to love him where he is and understand that I need to just work on me and being the best wife I can be and mother I can be and friend and really just giving him grace along the way. It's really helped our relationship, whether it's communication, really me me just being more open and communicating and saying, Hey, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm sorry for this. Then he, they follow. It's interesting when you're in a marriage, like, we get kind of frustrated sometimes like, Oh, why do I have to do the work? You know, I'm over here reading these, you know, marriage books, or I have girlfriends and we talk about all these things that we can be doing. But what happens is even though, yeah, we may start the work and we may be the ones initially changing when our spouse sees that in us, they want to reciprocate. Yeah. Cause they want, they want that too. I've noticed the more I apologize, the more he apologizes the more, you know, I intentionally connect with him, the more he's intentionally connected with me. You know, it's just cool how that works. But I couldn't do that when I was drinking because all I wanted to do was just numb everything. It's changed everything in my family. I mean, we're awesome. That's amazing. If somebody listened to this podcast and they, they know in their knower that this is who they are right now, what is the first thing that you can, that they can, that you can tell them that they can help them one move one step further in the direction that they want with their life? The first thing is to say it out loud. Hmm. It's one of the scariest things, but it needs to be spoken to someone that's safe. That will not tell you, oh no, girl, you're fine. That's not, you're crazy. You don't have a problem with drinking or someone that would like, look at you weird. It has to be someone safe. Mm -hmm. So it could just be you looking in the mirror and saying, you know what? I am done with this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm over it. I don't like how I feel. And really, like I said, in, in the beginning too, like once you say it, it gives it life. Then you can write down all the things that the reason why you're like, why are you done with it? You know, write it down, get it on paper and read it every day. And then I'm completely open to have a conversation. Like if you just don't have anyone that you know that 
you could speak to. Mm -hmm. I have spots I save every week for free conversations just to connect and maybe add some value, give you some guidance. And then if you want to take it further and work a little bit closer with me, that's fine too. But I think that that's step one. You have to, it's a, you know, a form of confession. Like I, I give up, I confess, this is where I'm at right now. Same things, you know, if your kids have been dealing with a struggle, you know, you want them to say it out loud. I'm sorry. Why are you sorry? You know, obviously mm -hmm. we're not saying that, but like when my son comes to me and says, you know, I want him to say why, like, what is the struggle? What are you, what have you been battling with that now you're saying, I'm not, I don't want to battle with this anymore. Like mm -hmm. speak it out loud. Mm -hmm. So where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram at coach Michelle Porterfield. I love direct messages, send me messages. And then if you just kind of want to explore and hear a little bit more about how and what I teach, it is at, um, it's on Apple and Spotify. Yeah, you have a podcast, yes. I have a podcast, yep, it's Set Free Sisterhood. Set Free Sisterhood. Yep. And, and you also have a Facebook community. It yep, it's the same name, Set Free Sisterhood. It's a private Facebook community. And there's teaching and encouragement because that's going to be a place where I think women can get a, a accountability partner if they want one. Mm -hmm. just kind of on the side just to meet and say hey this is where I'm at in my life yeah and not really having the opportunity to get together with people anymore mm -hmm. and so it just gives you a way to connect with other women amazing so thank you Michelle for showing up and uh, sharing your story and giving the advice that you do and um I'm, I'm so proud of you. And I've only known you alcohol free. Uh, and, and you are one of you are one of my, my best friends. And uh, you're amazing. It just shows that you can go through something like that. And you can come out on the other side and just be be amazing. Mm. And have an amazing life. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful on this side. Yeah. <laughs> Tell people and those there's a lot of communities on Facebook that are whether it's a sober community or exploring or, mm -hmm. or whatever and a lot of people really struggle and I'm like I promise you what is it called borrow my belief for a little while I mm -hmm. promise you it's so much better on this side once you get on this side it's just life is so much sweeter time goes by slower it's just it's a beautiful thing and I got to meet amazing people like you. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you again for the conversation and um, check out Michelle's podcast, The Set Free Sisterhood and uh, look her up on Facebook, Instagram, and, and just get in touch with her in the DMs if you want to ask her questions that we didn't cover here today. Bye for now.